Good morning. Please join me as we read responsively our responsive reading, our call to worship, uh, printed in your worship folder and on the screen, titled Cross. God, we are beginning a journey with you on the cross. The word is almost too big for us. We can't get our arms around it. Its meaning staggers us. When we are exhausted, raise us up to walk again. When we stumble, help us up. When we want to turn back, keep encouraging us. May we take seriously the meaning of your cross as we take up ours, standing beside each other, daring one another to take the risks you ask so that together we can live out your mission in the world. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to everyone. We're glad you're here today. It's good to be with you today in God's house and uh, with God's people to worship our Lord. And we hope that you'll be blessed in a very special way as we join our hearts together today in worship. We welcome our guests, especially uh, you're very important to us. And we're glad that you're here today. And we want to remind everyone of our attendance sheets on each row. We'd like to ask if you would to take that and to Fill it out. Give us as much information as you feel comfortable giving us. And uh, and especially if you would like to receive our email newsletter, uh, be sure to uh, give us your email address on there. And that comes out each Thursday. Gives us a, a good opportunity to find out what's going on in the life of Community Baptist Church. Also, if you're a first-time guest here today, we'd like to invite you to stop by our hospitality table on the way out. Uh, we have a, a gift that we would like to give to you this morning. It's good to, uh, to share the love of God with one another. And that's what we do as we gather each Sunday in uh, the house of the Lord. We gather together, and that's important uh, to be together in the house of the Lord, to share the love of God with, for God, and also to share that love with one another. So let me invite you to do just that today as we stand and greet each other and share the love of God with each other today. Hello, preacher. Hello, hello. How are you all? 
As we're taking our seats, I want to invite our children to come forward for our children's moment, all of our children. Come on up, children. Good morning. How are you all? Come on down. Good morning. Okay, now I want us to be very quiet and I want you to listen to something, okay? Listen to this. Heard of the Wizard of Oz? And you've heard of it. Miss Dor- Dorothy sings that in there, a song of hope. Well, rainbows. When do we see rainbows? After rain. Do we know how far away that rainbow is? No, do we? Can you walk under the arch and get on the other side? Hmm. Well, uh, do two people see the same thing when they look at a rainbow? Actually not. I had to think about that a minute. But we all see, and as the sunshine comes in on the raindrops, and we look, we all even see them differently. And for ages upon ages, rainbows have had lots of meanings, okay? A meaning of a bridge between heaven and earth. You can kind of picture that. Like from the living dead. Or a symbol of just renewed hope after a rain. Something lucky to look upon. And even the colors. The colors are so pretty. Green has meant a, a abundance. Lots of good things. And the red has meant war over time. But Pastor Tim today is going to talk about now rainbows. Who do you think he's going to talk about today? Think about it. Water. Lots of water. Do you remember a story in the Bible? And it rained. And it rained. Who was it? Noah. Now Noah and his family, they're on this great big, well, they call it an ark. This is a great big old, big old boat. Okay? And it rained for 40 years days and 40 nights. Imagine that. And he's on there with all those old stinky animals. Oh my gosh. And after 40 days, and that rain finally stopped, and he saw that rainbow. Can you imagine what that had to mean to him as a promise from God that the rain was over? And that is something we can think of, the promise from God the rainbows. Alright? So a little poem here just to end this. Rainbows appear after mighty storms when things look their very worst. Just when skies are darkest gray, look for the rainbow first. The rainbow is a sign of God's promise that He will guide us through our storms, that He will see us through all our troubles no matter what their form. When you feel all beaten up by life storms and just know filled with 
doubt and dismay. Sometimes we just don't know about things. Remember, God's rainbow will come, for it's only a prayer away. Let's have that prayer right now, okay? Dear Lord, we do, we do take the rainbow as one of your many symbols, but also that you have provided us as Christians the symbol also of the cross, and that we can take this as the brighter days and that you are with us and giving us your strength and your peace. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, your gift today. You have no, It's not anything to eat. I'm sorry. Okay? All right. Lydia, you want to get that box right there? Now, Miss Mary's going to take you all back, and I want you to take all this change. This is for hunger, remember? We're supposed to be doing this. And y'all can take turns putting them in the box. Okay? Can you carry that? Can you carry that for me, Sydney? Okay. Thanks for coming down. Our scripture reading today is from Genesis 9, verses 8 through 15. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you. 
and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. sunshiny Sunday. Please uh, assist all the people who have been stricken by the storms and tornadoes. Bless these offerings and use them to strengthen God's work. Amen.
I love that song. I like Old Brother, Where Art Thou, too. <laughs> That's a song, of course, that uh, was uh, featured on that, uh, on that movie. And, uh, and choir, you did it good. You did it, you did it well there. Thanks a lot for that. Uh, Jack Coe, some of you may be familiar with that name or you may not be familiar with that name. He was a, a popular evangelist back during the first half of the 20th century. And like many evangelists of his time, Coe held most of his services in a huge tent. It's a tremendous, massive structure of a tent. And, and it's said that the tent would hold up to 10,000 people. So you can imagine how large this tent was. But one day, Coe had a dream in which he saw a flood. And the dream troubled him so much that he told his wife about it. And then later, when he was conducting a crusade in Kansas City, he had this same dream again. And together, these dreams seemed so real to him that he felt as if God was, was trying to tell him something. Then a short time later, while in the midst of, a, of the crusade, Coe felt God speaking clearly to his heart and telling him to move his tent. So he immediately started packing things up and, and the last hours of removing that tent were sheer panic. Many people mocked Coe as he and his helpers fled in their loaded trucks. However... They were just in the nick of time. For you see, the river rose 22 feet over the next few days, and the ensuing flood brought the worst disaster of its kind in North America up until that time. Well, in the book of Genesis, a man named Noah had the same kind of experience. Except God does not tell Noah to move his tent. Instead, God tells Noah to build a boat. So Noah built that boat almost as large as the tent. And Noah was spared, along with his family and all of the animals that were gathered onto the boat. It's a magical story, really. It's a story that, that even our children know quite well. But it's an important part of our history as Christians, as Christian people. And one of the most important part of this story comes at the end of the story, when the waters begin to recede, because you see, God comes to Noah and his family and, and makes a promise to them. I now establish my covenant with you, he says, and, and, and with all of your descendants and with every living creature that that was with you. Never again will all of life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And then God said, this is a sign of the covenant I am making with you. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. This is an important story for us. It tells us that every time we see a rainbow in the sky, it is much more than simply sunlight refracting through the vapors of water. It is a reminder to us of God's mercy. It is a reminder to us of, of God's love. It's a reminder that no matter how disappointed God may be with all of humanity, never again will the story of the great flood be repeated. It is a reminder to us that God has made a covenant with us. So if you could... If you could remind yourself of that truth every time you see a rainbow in the sky, I think it will help all of us to deal with every aspect of our lives. God has made a covenant with us. But the rainbow is not the only symbol of that covenant with God. For you see, the cross is an even more important symbol of that covenant that God has made with us. Back on May the 12th, 1993, there were two tiny slivers of an olive tree said to have come from the cross on which Jesus died. They were sold for more than $18,000 at an auction. 
Along with these slivers of wood were two certificates from the Vatican dated back to 1855 that authenticated these slivers of wood as genuine. Now, she, the lady bought these slivers of wood for $18,000, and we don't know the, what, what the motivation was behind her buying these two relics. Maybe she had more money than she knew what to do with, and she bought them on a whim, or, or maybe she will reverently uh, mount them in her home somewhere like a, like a beautiful piece of art. Or maybe if she really believes them to be authentic, she'll carry them with her everywhere she goes, and each day she will touch them and, and remember what Christ has done for her. If she does that, then she would not be the first to do that. How many of you have ever heard the expression, to knock on wood. You ever heard that? You ever knocked on wood? How many of you have knocked on wood? Okay, most of us here. You know that expression, to knock on wood. Do you know where that expression comes from? Tell you? No, tell us. Tell us. I won't tell you. <laughs> or maybe I won't. I'll just leave you hanging. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. Many of you have knocked on wood for luck. At some point in your life. But this superstition actually originated from an, an ancient practice that has nothing to do with luck. You see, according to this ancient practice, a person would, would touch a piece of wood whenever that person experienced some, some act of good fortune in their life. And the reason that person would touch a piece of wood was in gratitude to Jesus who died on a wooden cross. Actually, that sounds like a pretty good idea, doesn't it? So don't knock on wood to, to change your luck. It won't work anyway. It's just a superstition. But, but when something good happens to you, why don't, why don't you knock on wood or, or touch a piece of wood as a reminder to you of how good God has been in your life? And to say thank you for all that Christ has done for you. Today is the second Sunday of Lent, and, and we're in the midst of preparing ourselves for the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And, and truly what happened in those, those last three days in Jerusalem more than 2,000 years ago, those events dwarfed what, even, even the rainbow that Noah saw in the sky. And yet, they are part and parcel of the same story. God's love for a fallen humanity. That's the story that both of these events point to. That's the point of it all. You see, both of these stories declare the mighty truth, this mighty truth to us. God is not interested in punishing humanity for its sin, but in saving humanity from its sin. And I think all of us need to be, hold on to that promise. It's spelled out in John 3, not 16, but 17. For God did not send God's Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. My friends, that's, that has been God's intent since the very beginning of time. And, and that's basically what the rainbow tells us. And so every time you see it, give thanks. Knock on wood, if you will. God has made a covenant with us. And I believe that this is particularly good news to us when the storm clouds are rising around us and you think that floods may be on the way. You know, these past few years have been devastating to, for, for a lot of families. And I'm not just talking about... Um, I'm not just thinking about those who have been affected by actual floods like what took place here last spring. And I'm not just thinking about the droughts and the wildfires that took place in Texas and other places in the southwest or the tornadoes that roared through last week. These are terrible events, of course, and we pray for those who have been affected by them. But I'm also thinking about the flood of foreclosures. The flood of 
job losses that have devastated so many families. Studies tell us that that children have been affected by the economic downturn more than any other segment of our society. And it's been a a slow recovery for, for most of us, but for many families, it has been an outright depression. But even when economic times are, are good, there are other ca- calamities that come our way, like the flood, uh, floods of sickness and death and divorce. Sooner or later, the floodwaters begin to rise around all of us and no one can escape them. None of us are immune. All of us will experience the floodwaters of adversity in our lives at some point or another. And we need to acknowledge that truth. TV evangelists sometimes will give you the impression that if you just if you just put your trust in Jesus, then your life is going to be just one long, beautiful stream of blessings. Well, folks, let me tell you something. That's a lie. It's not true. Well, your heart and your soul and your mind will be blessed, but. My friends, Christians are not exempt from the floodwaters of hardship that come to all of us. Pastor Jerome Cooper tells about a woman named Lynn. Lynn was seeking for truth. And even though she had been a member of a Christian church, she began her intense search for truth in Buddhism. And the reason she chose Buddhism is that Lynn was deeply affected by the by the the suffering of the world. And Buddhism deals a lot with with suffering. And so she began her path towards Buddhism, seeking an answer on how to deal with suffering in the world. However, it was through her seeking an answer in Buddhism that she was eventually led back to Jesus. You see, as she thought more about it. And especially as she thought about suffering. She eventually looked back at Jesus in a whole new way. And she saw that Jesus had also suffered. He had suffered the pain of of his heart as he wept over Jerusalem, who had misunderstood his message and turned its back on him. He had suffered the pain of the body as he was scourged. As the whip raked across his back and took the flesh with it. As he was nailed upon the cross and left there to die. He knew what it meant to suffer. And so she she saw Jesus in a whole new light. Answering the questions that she had been asking about suffering. Now she she could have come to this understanding a whole lot sooner. Except that the the church she had been a part of painted an entirely different picture of of Jesus. They only talked about the Christ who was, was happy. They only talked about the blessings of being a Christian. They only talked about the, 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 the Christ who was always positive and always beautiful. And, and that is a major part of the story. But, but she realized that what she had been presented was only half the truth. It was only the victorious Jesus without the suffering Messiah. And she couldn't relate to that. I posted an article on Facebook just a few days ago about how the church often sugarcoats the the scriptures. Some of you may have may have read it. Always putting a, a positive spin on what are sometimes horrible situations. But folks, let me tell you something. The Bible's not always beautiful. It's not. It's earthy. It's impolite. It talks about. Murder, cannibalism, witchcraft, dismemberment, torture, rape, idolatry, erotic sex, and animal sacrifice. The writer of this article says, I believe that the scripture includes such graphic material to show how far we have fallen and how far God is willing to come to rescue us. God is more interested in honesty than piety. And that's what he gives us throughout the scriptures. 
telling the stories of people who have struggled with the same kinds of issues and questions that we struggle with. My friends, we need to be honest about it and so that, we, so that other people don't misunderstand. Sometimes some of the best people that God has ever created suffer terribly. Nobody escapes completely. And, and the vexing part of it all is that we don't know why. A young minister was in his office one day when a, a lady, a stranger to him, came into his office and said, she, she asked, are you the minister here? And he said, yes, I am. She said, come with me. So they went out into the front of the church in the parking lot where she parked her car and he could see stretched out in the back seat a, a twisted figure of a man. And the woman pointed at him and said, my, this is my brother. He was paralyzed by a drunk driver. And, and if you're a man of God, I want you to do one of two things, either heal him or explain this tragedy. He could do neither. And neither can I. I can't tell you why suffering comes to us. I can't answer that age-old question of why bad things happen to good people. It does. And I can't tell you why. But here's something I can tell you today, folks. I can point you to a rainbow in the sky. And I can point you to a cross and say to you, without any hesitation at all, God has not forgotten us. God has promised that God will never forsake us, even when the floodwaters of suffering and sorrow threaten to overcome us. So hang on to that promise. Hang on to it. I read a story a while about a while ago uh, about Dr. Wayne Oates. Wayne Oates is, is somewhat of a hero to among us seminary types. Uh, he was a psychologist and a religious educator. He was the guy who coined the word workaholic. Um, many people will credit him with birthing what we know today as pastoral counseling. It's a it's a it's an area of counseling that combines psychological models and pastoral sensitivity and, and biblical uh, teaching. Oates wrote 57 books in his life, many of them dealing with pastoral psychology. And he was a great man who influenced many, many people, many, many people. But in his autobiography, he tells about his growing up years. It seems that Wayne Oates knew what it was like to struggle. He was born to a poor family in Greenville, South Carolina, in June of 1917. Shortly after he was born, his father abandoned him and his family. He was brought up by his grandmother and his sister while his mother worked at a cotton mill to support the family. She made $30 a week. They survived on pinto beans, turnip greens, cornbread, and molasses. But in his early school years, Oates discovered that he was pretty smart and he did well with his, his studies. And he, he knew that if he was ever going to get out of this poverty, this just may be the way. The trouble was that at the age of 14, everybody had to go to work in the cotton mill. And that meant that you never graduated from high school. He was tempted to quit studying, but, but his grandmother told him to, to keep at it. And to remember that life was like a funnel. She said that life is like a funnel. She said that if you started at the, at the small end, the difficult end, then life began to broaden out and become easier later on. But if you started at the easy end, the broad end, life became more narrow over time. It's an interesting philosophy. Well, Wayne Oates worked hard and, and he had... He had an amazing break when he was 14 years old. You see, he was one of a, a small number of poor but bright young boys who were selected by a congressman to serve as a page at the United States House of Representatives. And this was a life-changing experience for him. It didn't keep him out of the mill forever because, you see, 
you can only be a page up to the age of 16. And so he had to go back to Greenville and, and work in the mill. But he had tasted something more when he was in Washington. And so he insisted on finishing high school. He worked his way through Wake Forest University, and then he went to to Southern Seminary, the first of his family to get a a higher education. He writes about how hard it was to to leave that mill town and about the the peer pressure there to, to, to stay. People were saying things to him like, so you think you're too good to work with in the mill, huh? You think you're better than everybody else. You you just don't want to have anything to do with hard-working folks like us. I never thought that you would desert your family like this. But it wasn't that Oates felt better than anybody else. Nor did he want to desert his family and friends. It, it was simply that Wayne Oates was sustained by a promise. The promise of his grandmother that if he kept on trying, he would eventually end up on the broad end of the funnel. And that things would get easier for him. He was also sustained by God's promise. That whatever came to him. He would never be alone. That God would always be with him. That's a promise that has sustained millions of people down through the ages. We Christians should not look at life through rose-colored glasses. We should all know that there will be storms that each of us have to overcome. And we should all know that the floodwaters of life will rise around us. And sometimes it will get up to about right here. But God has promised us that they will never overwhelm us. And so even in the midst of the storms that we face in our lives, we should look for that sign of a rainbow. And it's there. It'll always be there. And even more importantly, we can see that promise in the cross upon which Jesus died. For you see... God has made a covenant with us. He has made a promise to us. And that covenant will never, ever fail. Amen. We're going to sing today our hymn of response, number 315, Room at the Cross. I think this is wonderful hymn of response because there is room at the cross for you today. And we invite you to come to the cross of Jesus. We, we invite you to come today to make a commitment in Jesus Christ if you've never done that before. To say yes to the promise that Christ has made to, uh, to us that God will be with you always. When everything's wonderful and lovely and And beautiful in your life, God is there. When life is taking a terrible turn and and it's hard to just put one step in front of the, the other, God is there too. That's the promise that God has made. And it's in that promise that we have much strength. If you've never made that commitment to Christ, I hope you'll do it today. Accept that promise. Accept the gift of God's forgiveness to you this morning. If you're looking for a church home to be a part of, we invite you to come and unite with our church this morning. Or maybe life is almost overwhelming for you and you, you feel like you could just use a little time of prayer. We can do that. If God's dealing in your heart in any way this morning, we invite you to come as we sing together. There's room at the cross for you. Would you come?
Yeah. 